0: From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, Warren Buffett, Wikipedia, and apes. (laughs) That's today on the Decrypt Daily. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Monday, May 2nd, 2022. Man, I'm so happy it's May, and I'm really, 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 really hoping that there is no more snow over here in Ohio. May snow is just depressing. But what's not depressing is the emails that I got from listeners over the weekend. And so there's some questions, some statements, and other things. So let's read those really quick. I'm recording this at 1047 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. First email comes from Veronica. Veronica. Veronica says, Hi, Matthew. Veronica here from San Diego. I work in the industrial cybersecurity industry, and I got into crypto over the pandemic. Need more women in these spaces. That's true, Veronica. Absolutely true. I quickly learned that the more I learn about crypto, the less I know. So I really appreciate you keeping me up to speed with your daily podcast as part of my morning ritual. As a hopeless foodie, you piqued my interest with the mention of the first NFT restaurant last week. Seeing that I to and fro from San Diego to L.A., I wanted to check out the hype, so I made a pit stop while I was in the area last weekend. Bored in Hungry is located in Long Beach in Los Angeles County. It's a tiny, vibrant place with a nautical theme strewn with kaleidoscopic pop art showcasing NFTs owned by the entrepreneur, Andrew Nguyen. The ambiance had me feeling like I was inside the Krusty Krab during an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. I eat all things, but I was happy to see that they offered a mutant feeding menu, which was 100% plant-based and said to be prepared on a separate grill, so noteworthy for vegans. A combo meal included any burger with peppered fries and a drink, running about 15 to $17. And they're now accepting Ape and F as payment for the burgers, which I would say is a cross between In-N-Out and White Castle, slathered in grilled onions, and no shortage of cheese, if you're up for that sort of thing. I've included some pictures I took while visiting, and I thought you might appreciate it. Pity that they sold out of merch during my visit, though. More fast food than restaurant, but it was heaps of fun, no less. Thanks for putting it on my radar. Keep up the most excellent work. Veronica. Thank you, Veronica, for writing in about that. And if anybody else has been to Bored and Hungry in Long Beach, let me know. Aaron at Decrypt.co. The next email comes from Jerry. And Jerry wrote in because I asked a simple question. What do you think of Elon and Twitter? And he wrote in, you asked the questions, you asked for our opinion, so here's mine. As far as Twitter goes, I couldn't give a single fuck. I don't use Twitter, and I really don't care about it. But as far as Elon is concerned, I used to really like him a lot. Consider him a visionary, and I still do but I'm very disappointed that he has gone Hollywood. This seems like an ego-driven project to me. It's definitely not a good business to buy if you had $43 billion lying around, and it's a far cry from the other projects he's been involved in. But it seems to me that Elon wants attention. He's enamored with power and still thinks his little hijinks are cute. Sniping at people in a public way when you're just a Twitter user and being the owner of the larger public platform are two very different things. He's not handled being a CEO of publicly traded companies very well. I'm sure it'll be entertaining to watch in the future. Thanks for asking, Jerry. Well, what do you think about what Jerry said? Email me, Ern at Crypt.co. And finally, Skylar wrote in and asked a question. Two questions, actually. Hey, Matt, hope your weekend was good. I know you say Mondays are always slow with the news, but can you give us an Ohio redistricting update, if any? And I assume you'll cover the other side NFT launch this weekend and gas hitting 6,000 guay. Typically, Saturdays are the lowest gas fees, so I saw a lot of complaints directed toward Yuga Labs. I would love to hear what you think on this matter. Thanks, Skyler. I'll give you my opinion about that later. But right now, an Ohio redistricting update. This is definitely not crypto, but you asked the question, so I'm going to answer for you. So here's what's happening in Ohio. If you all know, I am running for U.S. Congress. The primary is tomorrow. So if you're a Democrat in the Ohio area uh, in living in Ohio's 7th district, new Ohio 7th District, please go to the polls and vote Deemer for Congress. Matthew Demer for Congress, that is. Uh, but what's happening with Ohio's redistricting? One thing that we have to understand really quick is that there's two different processes happening. There's the federal congressional lines. Then there's the state house and Senate lines. Those are two different separate issues. The first one is the third congressional, federal congressional maps. The third maps are the ones that are going to be in place for voting tomorrow in the primary. I'm running in the seventh and a federal court came in and said, hey, These lines have not been approved. (laughs) They're actually unofficial. But whoever wins the primary, we will honor that primary. Meaning, whoever wins the primary will go to the general under these maps. Now, the hearing to see if these maps are constitutional and be put into law is not until May 20th. Therefore, it's quite possible that these federal congressional maps will be found unconstitutional by Ohio's constitution and thrown out and you have to remake the maps. With that said, Whoever won the primary will still be the winners of the primary. So more than likely, they'll go to the general, leaving these maps in place for two years, maybe four years. But they're probably going to say you're going to have to draw these maps over again. That's for the federal congressional maps. Now, remember, the Supreme Court's going to rule on the maps constitutionality on May 20th. And so there is a slight chance that there are going to be lawsuits and requests to overturn the election because they're going to say, Why did you vote? If the maps were unconstitutional, you shouldn't even have the election. We need constitutional maps first. That's a possibility. But because of what the federal court said, I don't think that's going to happen. And they're going to draw new maps for 2024 or maybe 2026. Okay, and now there's the state maps. And the Ohio State House and Senate maps were deemed unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court said, hey, the redistricting committee, get the maps out to us by May 6th. Well, they're lollygagging. You want to know why? Because a federal court of three judges said, look, we don't have time to mess with this. If you don't have maps for us by May 28th, then we're going to implement the third set of maps that you drew. So what does that mean? That means that there is no incentive for the redistricting committee in Ohio to draw maps that are constitutional and to actually even meet with each other. Why? Because they already said what maps they're going to use. And they said, hey, if you don't do it by this date, then we're going to use these other maps. I kind of equate it to like a parent going to a dirty kid's room and saying, if you don't clean this room, those toys are going to stay on the floor. And the kids going to be like, "Okay, (laughs) the toys are going to stay on the floor. Anyway, so that's what's happening with the redistricting. I hope that was clear. And please tell everybody to vote in the primary tomorrow. Now, let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And now the time is 11:01 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. We have Bitcoin sitting at 38,855 dollars, up 2.2 percent in twenty four, down almost percent in seven. Ethereum is at 2,827 dollars, up 2. and 2.4 percent in twenty four. Teller's number three, Binance Coin is at 388, up 1.3 percent in USDCs. Number five, rounding off the top ten, we have Solana, XRP, Luna, Cardano, and Terra USD. Total market cap, we're at 1.74 trillion, a BTC dominance of 42.5 and an F dominance of 19.6. And now it's time for Coin of the Day. Our Coin of the Day today is Arweave, ticker AR. Ranked number 86 on Coin Market Cap, its price is $24.03. It's up 2.2% in 24. Market cap is $802 million. Fully diluted market cap is $1.5 billion. 51% of AR is in circulation. The all-time high price was set six months ago, November 5th, 2021. It was at $90.94. It's down 75% since then. All-time low was two years ago. In 2020, it's up 4,900% since then. You can buy it at Binance, Gate.io, Huobi, and KuCoin. So what is AR Weave or Weave? AR is a decentralized storage network that seeks to offer a platform for the indefinite storage of data, describing itself as a collectively-owned hard drive that never forgets. The network primarily hosts the PermaWeb, a permanent decentralized web with a number of community-driven applications and platforms. That's ARWeave or Weave, ticker AR, ranked number 86 on CoinMarketCap. Moving into today's headlines, Yuga Labs, the startup behind Board Ape Yacht Club, is valued at $4 billion. And its highly anticipated other side metaverse mint on Saturday night clogged the Ethereum mainnet and it sent gas prices to crazy heights. In less than 24 hours, Yuga Labs has generated more than $561 million from the other side or other deed NFT sales. Some 55,000 NFTs were minted at 305 Ape each, which means each other deed costs around $5,800 given ApeCoin's price of around $19 at the time of mint. Yuga Labs raked in over $318.7 million from this mint alone. That is absolutely crazy. According to data from CryptoSlam, other Deed has already seen over $242 million in secondary volume. That's crazy too. Of that figure, over $190 million was on OpenSea. So because of the high demand of the NFTs, well, we had a gas war. And gas wars happen when there's a sudden increase in demand for transactions and it clogs the network, sending the fees soaring as users try to cut in front of the line. So what does that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. If you're validating blocks to go in the blockchain and you're getting paid for that, you're gonna take the highest prices, right? So, if everybody's paying 10 and somebody comes up and says, Hey, I'll pay you 11, which one are you gonna take, the 10 or the 11? Obviously, you're gonna take the 11. But that's the thing, it's on the chain. So, everybody can see like what everybody's paying. So, you see somebody's paying 11, you're gonna pay 12. And then somebody's gonna pay 13. And it's not a big deal. I'll go to 20. And then somebody's gonna to go to 50. And it can get out of control really, really fast. And that's basically what happened. And so while some people were able to get their transactions processed in a few hours or a couple hundred dollars in gas fees, other people were paying up to $4,000 for a transaction. Other side related transactions have consumed over 64000 in F in gas fees at the time of writing, which is $180 million in gas fees. Some have pointed out that these fees didn't have to be that bad if Google Labs implemented a few back end optimizations. And now what about ApeCoin? I told you, this is exactly what happened to Zill. And Zillica, a couple weeks ago, was going to unveil their new Metaverse or Web3 uh, platform. It's called Metopolis. And everybody was so hyped about it. And sent Zill from like $0.04 cents up to like 25 $0.26 cents or something like that. And well, we were while watching it, how high could this go? And then right before the launch or right after the launch, boom, it dropped. Just plummeted. And right now, today, Zillow is sitting at $0.07. It has never stopped dropping since. Um, (laughs) It's just what happens in these situations. So what is Ape's price today? It's around $15. But it went all the way up to almost $27. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down from here? Who knows? Who knows? Statler and Waldorf. They have some words for Bitcoin. And by Statler and Waldorf, I mean Buffett and Munger. (laughs) Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, obviously. Warren Buffett said, whether Bitcoin goes up and down in the next year or the next 5-10 to years, I don't know. But the only thing I'm pretty sure of is it doesn't produce anything. If you told me you own all the Bitcoin in the world and offered me to buy it for 25 bucks, I wouldn't take it because what would I do with it? I would have to sell it back to you one way or the other. It isn't going to do anything. Charlie Munger said, in my life, I tried to avoid things that are stupid and evil to make me look bad in comparison to somebody else. And Bitcoin does all three. He continued to say, it's stupid because it's still likely to go to zero. And it's evil because it undermines the Federal Reserve System. And third, it makes us look foolish compared to the communist leader in China. He was smart enough to ban Bitcoin in China. So, here's what I'm going to say. I want you to write in. What does Bitcoin produce? What would you say to Statler and Waldorf? You tell me. I want to hear from you. Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. Wikipedia's parent organization, the Wikimedia Foundation, will no longer be accepting any donations in Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, or Ethereum after some community members sparked a three-month-long debate about the pros and cons of crypto. The news comes shortly after the foundation conducted a poll where more than 70% of respondents said they wanted to discontinue all cryptocurrency donations. The foundation said in a statement, The Wikimedia Foundation has decided to discontinue direct acceptance of cryptocurrencies as a means of donating. We are making this decision based on the recent feedback from volunteers and donor communities. The foundation began accepting Bitcoin in 2024. Back then, it reasoned that adding Bitcoin as a donation option would help make contributing to the Wikimedia Foundation as simple and inclusive as possible. The Wikimedia Foundation community relations specialist wrote that crypto donations made up only 0.08% of the foundation's revenue last year, and that the foundation has never held cryptocurrency. In the last financial year, the most used cryptocurrency was Bitcoin. We have never held cryptocurrency, and spot converted donations daily into fiat, which doesn't have a significant environmental impact. And finally, Solana went dark for nearly 7 hours on Saturday, roughly from 4.30pm to 11pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And this is after bots have appeared to swarm Candy Machine, the NFT minting tool. The NFT minting bots reportedly submitted more than 4 million transactions a second, generating more than 100 gigabytes per second of traffic that crashed the network. Metaplex tweeted today Solana mainnet beta went down partially due to botting on the Metaplex canning machine program. To combat this, we have merged and will soon deploy a botting penalty to the program as part of a broader effort to stabilize the network. The outers on Saturday had a lot of people questioning the efficiency of the blockchain, including Cardano's founder Charles Hoskinson, which had some choice words. And I think this comes full circle perfectly for Jerry's question about gas fees, the Ethereum gas fees being so expensive and this whole botting attack on Solana. Let's look at the two different things. The first one was Ethereum gas fees. They were so high that it priced people out. It turned an inclusive mint to an exclusive mint. Basically, if you had money, you could get in. If you don't, you don't. There was no inclusivity. There was no fairness. It was just people racing to spend as much money as possible, which left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, which maybe the transaction didn't go through, but you still paid a high gas fee. On the other hand... Let's just say you have 10 million, $100 dollars million in Solana just laying around because, well, you just got that. There there are people out there that just have 10, 20, 30, $100 dollars just laying around of Solana or cryptocurrency. And with such low gas fees on Solana or transaction fees on Solana, you know, uh, you know, launching a bot that does four million transactions per second and maybe just flooding the network and just paying the transaction fees, maybe you just got forty or fifty thousand dollars laying around that you just say, Hey, let's have some fun. It's possible to do that and totally wreak havoc on the whole network. So I guess the thought experiment is, what is the happy middle? How do you create a system that's inclusive, but isn't so cheap that everybody can just spam and bot the network because they have some extra cash laying around? And what safeties do you put in place? What does the future of these blockchains look like? Is F2.0 going to solve these problems? I'm not too sure. If you have any questions or if you have any ideas, email me, Matthew at Crypt.co. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that five stars, smash that five star to let everybody visually see that this is a damn good podcast. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.